Um, Moses lived the first 40 years of his life, think with me, growing up in the palace. And, and we're talking at this time, Egypt was at the zenith of its power, educated in luxury. He lived in luxury. But Moses always knew he had one foot in the palace and he had one foot with his parents who were slaves, Amram and Jochebed, and one foot with the princess living there in the luxury of the palace. Today, we find Moses hundreds of miles away from Egypt, okay? So today, we're going to switch gear, and he's living hundreds of miles away in the middle of the Midian wilderness, literally in the middle of nowhere, okay? Pick the most desolate place up in the UP that you can imagine, and then multiply that by 10. That, that's the Midian wilderness, okay? So here's the question. How did Moses go from living in the palace to the backside of the desert, okay? Um, he, he was son of slaves, but he was raised as Egyptian royalty. And the end of chapter 2 says, one day Moses saw one of the Hebrews being beaten and mistreated by one of the Egyptian slave masters, okay? Hebrews 11, 24 to 26 tells us, at that time, Moses made a choice, okay? I can identify with the palaces and all of the luxury of Egypt, or I can identify as a Hebrew, one of my own people. So Hebrews 11 says he understood his place in history and he made his choice, okay? Thinking he was somebody, Moses made a choice, and he identified with God's chosen people, the Jews. In anger, in frustration, uh, in the flesh, what does Moses do? He kills that Egyptian slave master, and then he hides the body, buries it, and now he thinks he's fine, but if you look at Exodus 2, verse 15, he realizes, uh-oh, uh, everybody knows, everybody is aware, even Pharaoh knows I've murdered an Egyptian guard. So now, in fear, Moses runs away hundreds of miles to the Midian desert, to the Midian wilderness. So, so that's how he got out there uh, in the middle of nowhere. As D.L. Moody said... Moses spent the first 40 years of his life, he thought he was somebody. Uh, now in a moment of anger in the flesh, he becomes a nobody, okay? And Moses goes and he finds a low-profile job where no one will know him. Uh, he's low-paying, and matter of fact, he's doing the most basic of jobs. He's tending sheep, uh, Moses gets hired on by a guy named Jethro, uh, and now he meets the family, and he marries the boss's daughter, Zipporah, and Moses starts a family in the Midian Desert, okay? For 40 years, he's an unknown nobody until he's 80 years old. Got that? From 40 till 80, he's out in the middle of nowhere. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, 80 is an age when most people start to slow down a bit, right? 
If you're 80, if you're here today, you, you've earned it. Now you can slow down. You're starting to think about retirement. Moses at 80 is going to get called out of retirement. Okay? Jehovah God is about to show the world what he can do with a nobody. Okay? Uh, but first, first he has to get Moses' attention. Okay? Jehovah God is going to do something extraordinary to catch Moses' attention so he'll sit up and, and he fires up this ordinary shepherd to get him to come out of retirement and lead his chosen people out of Egypt. That's what we're going to look at today. Would you stand with me if you're able? We're going to read out loud together the first 10 verses. Moses uh, is, is now 40 to 80 here. Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. Let's put it up here and we'll read that together. Exodus 3. Yeah. They, oh, here, almost to 1. Almost. You know what? I think I marked in it chapter 2. Yeah, didn't I? Yeah. But we're going to go to chapter 3 and see what we can do. Yeah, we're going to test Caleb. How quickly can you find Exodus chapter 3? Oh, dear Lord, please help Caleb right now. Amen. Uh, well done, Caleb. <laughs> Here we go. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for getting our attention. Thank you for getting Moses' attention. And uh, Lord, help us to pay attention now 
as we dig into Exodus 3. Lord, would you uh, come and meet us today in your church? We're ready to hear from you. You're the God of the universe, the creator of heavens and earth. And Lord, we invite you now, come and meet us individually today in your church at Walloon. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Help us to hear your still, small voice today. Show us your plans and all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice. Amen. You can be seated. It says, uh, verse 1, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. One ordinary day, just picture here, Moses is out in the middle of nowhere watching his father-in-law Jethro's sheep. Just an 80-year-old man doing what he'd done every day for 40 years. Okay, Every day, 40 years, that's what he did. He watched sheep. Now it's quiet, wilderness, no hints, no whispers, no prompts that Moses' life is about to change forever. He has no clue. But God is about to step into an ordinary day of an ordinary man and do something extraordinary. Verse 2. There the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a blazing fire. From the middle of a bush, Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. Verse 3. This is amazing, he said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. Jehovah does something to catch Moses' attention. That's what's going on here, okay? Something out of the ordinary, something that Moses had never seen or experienced in his 40 years there in the wilderness. He spots a fire. I'm sure there were at times fires in the desert, but this fire just keeps burning. The scrub brush and the scrub bush should have just burnt right out, right? But it keeps on burning, and that's what catches his attention. He's intrigued. He's amazed. So he goes in to check it out. He's never seen this. 40 years, never seen anything like this. An ordinary bush becomes extraordinary by God's hand. Okay? Now look. It talks about the angel, verse 2. The angel of the Lord is in the bush, okay? So here's the question, who is the angel of the Lord? Uh, verse 4 tells us that God called to Moses from the bush. Verse 6 says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The fancy word for this, you ready, is theophany. It's an Old Testament appearance by God himself in the form of Jesus. Remember in, uh, in the fiery furnace there in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, remember somebody shows up there in the furnace? Uh, that's a theophany as well. You, you got Jesus in the Old Testament showing up, okay? Showing up in the fiery furnace today, uh, Exodus chapter 3, Jesus shows up in the bush, okay? So now, 
Moses realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in the presence of God. What does he do? Uh, He covers up his face. He's afraid to look at God, okay? God Almighty, Jehovah God, has decided to get Moses' attention, and he's going to talk to him. And now Moses realizes, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Verse 4, the Lord calls to Moses twice, okay? Moses! Moses! I'm not sure if if he's a a bass or a tenor. Anyway, God repeats himself a lot in Scripture. Peter, Peter, Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul. If you're a parent, you understand this, don't you? (laughs) Oftentimes, your kids aren't paying attention. Uh, He's trying like crazy to get Moses to pay attention. So he repeats himself. Now, the Lord has Moses' attention. What does Moses say? Here I am. I'm here. Moses still doesn't know who he's talking to, but now he's listening. Okay? Now, verse 5, God formally introduces himself to Moses with a warning and a command. He says, uh, don't come any closer. Okay? The Lord warned. Uh, Moses, take off your sandals. Why? Because you're standing on holy ground. I don't want anything between you and me, Moses. I want you to come, and and I don't want your murderous past uh, to separate us. I'm fixing to do something amazing right now through you, Moses. So take off your sandals. Verse 6. Moses knows about God. But he doesn't know God personally yet. Okay? He's, he knows he, this is awesome. You've made yourself clear. You've got this fire going on. He's covered his face. He's afraid to look at God. But uh, up to this point, he's just been herding sheep. <laughs> Moses, for 40 years, only knows about the wilderness. There's no reason for him to expect anything different today. Just an ordinary day. He doesn't recognize God. He doesn't see him. But God gets his attention that day. He interrupted his plan. He interrupted his day. Literally, God's about to interrupt Moses' life for the rest of his life. He's going to come and he's going to say, Okay, you've been getting ready for this for 40 years. Okay, now I have a plan and a purpose for you, Moses, and it's going to be really different. So I just want to pause for a moment. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for your life, too. You're here, just an ordinary Sunday. Oh, yeah, PJ's up there rambling on. I don't know why he took off his shoes. I bet it smells up here. What's going on? Can I tell you something? Look at me, balcony. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives here today. He had one for Moses. <laughs> He's got ours. He's got a plan and a purpose. Jeremiah 29. How many of you like 29:11 of Jeremiah? For I know the plans I have for you. They're plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. Uh, slide down to verse 13. If you look at me for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. All you have to do is look. What's the Lord going to have to do to get your attention? my attention. Now, God then switches gears. I'm concerned for my chosen people, your people too, Moses. Have you seen how they're suffering? 
Have you seen how they're crying out uh, to him? Verse 7, here's what it says. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. And I'm going to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the hand, the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites, now they live. But I want you to look, because the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I've seen how harshly the Egyptians are treating them. Um, here, here's what we need to know. God is reminding Moses of the covenant promise he made back to Abraham, Genesis 15. Okay, the very same peoples are listed. Okay, and now he's saying, hey, Moses, remember the promises I made to Abraham? Those promises are about to come true. And I'm going to use you, Moses. You're going to be my man for me to see those covenant promises come about. Now, here's my plan. Verse 10. Now go, Moses, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. It's time for you to go, okay? Not complicated. Two-part plan. First, I'm sending you, Moses, and you, Moses, must lead my people out of Egypt. And note, note, this is not a suggestion. This is a command. I'm commanding you. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go, and you are going to lead, okay? An order by God Almighty. Verse 11, <laughs> Moses does what we tend to do. Uh, I, I've got an excuse, but Moses protested to God. Verse 11, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? Moses, think about this, is attempting to talk God out of his calling. <laughs> I'm a nobody, I don't think I'm up to this. I'm just a sheep herder. I'm living out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, I, I don't think they're going to listen to me. I don't think I'm your man. Okay? Uh, I'm, surely you're not talking to me. And the Lord tells Moses what he often says to us. Look at verse 12. God answered. I'm going to be with you, Moses. And this is your sign that I'm the one who sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship me at this very mountain where you're talking to me right now. Mount Sinai. Right here, you didn't know this was a significant mountain, but I'm going to do something. You're going to bring my chosen people to this exact mountain. And I will be with you. Isn't that good? Lord is with us. The Lord is with us today. And if God is for us, What's the question? Who could be against us? <laughs> That's right. Well, verse 13. Uh, well, who am I going to tell the Egyptians sent me? Verse 13. Okay. Uh, I need to know your name. If I'm going to go and tell them, let my people go, I need to know who are you. Tell me your name. Remember, 
This was unexpected. The, the, Moses had never encountered God this way before. This is just the beginning of that relationship between God and Moses. Okay? Moses will spend the next 40 years getting to know God and trust him. But it starts with, what's your name? <laughs> what's your name again? Verse 14. Here's, here's how God answers. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. What's God's name? <laughs> I am. I always have been, and I always will exist. I've always been. That's my eternal name, okay? Further, I indicates God is a person. Give me your eyes. God is not just a cosmic force. You can't worship a cosmic force. We can't worship gravity, which is a cosmic force, okay? But you can worship a person. I am a person. I have personality. We are people, and we have personality. Why? Because we're made in God's image. Now, I love this quote from Pastor Chuck Swindoll in his commentary on Moses. Here's what he says. Mark it down. Things do not just happen. Ours is not a random whistle-in-the-dark universe. There is a God arranged plan for this world of ours, which includes a specific plan for you. And though every ordinary day and every extraordinary moment, there's a God who constantly seeks you. Did you know that? There's a God who's seeking all of us. It is. Now, God had a specific plan for Moses' life, but the God of the Bible also has a specific plan for you, Jose. He has a specific plan for you, Myron. He has a specific plan for all of us. Moses? How did he get Moses' attention? Burning bush. Um, in uh, 1 Samuel 3, young Samuel is sleeping and the Lord gets his attention by talking to him at night in a dream. Okay, He hears a voice, 1 Samuel 3. Um, he got Xerxes, which was Esther's king, okay? He couldn't sleep. He was restless in the middle of the night. And he realizes the Lord is speaking to me in Esther chapter 6. This is a fun one. 1 Kings 17. Write that down. You can look this up. But he gets Elijah's attention by feeding Elijah bread and meat from the beak of a raven. Can you imagine that? So every day, the ravens are bringing him meat and food. I don't know about you, the Lord would have my attention. Okay, what do you, what do you got to say? He got Joshua's attention. He had a massive army. He's got this little small town. He's already went around Jericho. That was a big one. But now this little city named Ai, and now this little army beats up Joshua's army. He gets his attention by allowing his army to be defeated, Joshua 7. Job, how did Job uh, get 
paying attention to God. In, in Job chapter 1, Job loses his sheep, his camels, his oxen, his donkeys, his servants. Acts chapter 9, give me your attention. Saul is on the warpath. I'm going to go kill all the Christians. How does the Lord get Saul, Saul who became Paul's attention? Strikes him what? Blind. Okay? So that's how he got. And then later in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul, now he's struggling with this thorn in the flesh, and it's painful and it's frustrating. And he says, no, 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 you're stronger with that. He gets Paul's attention through the thorn in the flesh. Um, and, and bluntly, he's got my attention uh, this past year and a half by having four eye surgeries in seven months. So here's what I'm saying to all of you. The Lord will get your attention. He will, he will get us to sit up. And the question we have to answer, Lord, are you trying to talk to me? What, what are you trying to do in getting my attention? It's not always a burning bush. Matter of fact, there are no other recording of burning bushes anywhere else in the Bible. But the Lord is always about getting our attention. Ordinary me, ordinary you. We have an extraordinary God who seeks after us. He wants us to pay attention. He wants us to sit up and listen. And I'm convinced if we'll pay attention, he's got something to say. Be still. Listen. I, I want to speak to you. I want to show you my plan for your life. Um, here's how David expressed it. Psalm 46. We'll put it up here. The Lord of heaven's armies is here amongst us. The God of Israel is our fortress. Come see the glorious works of the Lord. See how he brings destruction upon the world. He causes wars to end throughout the earth. He breaks the bow and snaps the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be honored throughout the world. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's be still. Let's allow God to speak. And Lord, would you help us to pay attention right now as we quiet our hearts? I believe, Lord, you have something in mind. You have a plan, a purpose for every person here, every person watching online. Speak, Lord. We're listening. Thank you, Lord, for loving us enough 
to get our attention. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for having a plan and a purpose for each and every person that's here today. And before we move on, I just need to ask, God's number one purpose and plan for each of us is that we would open our hearts and our lives and say yes to Jesus first. That's where it begins. So uh, is Jesus knocking today at your heart? Is he trying to get your attention? Is there stuff going on you don't understand? And I promise you, his desire is that you would listen and open the door of your life and invite him in. He, he wants, he wants to be there for you and show you exactly the good things he has in mind for you. Here are the facts. Jesus left the glory and splendor of heaven. He took on a human body, lived a sinless life. He did that for you, he did that for me. Jesus alone qualifies to be the sinless lamb of God. He willingly shed his blood for our sin problem. <laughs> and boy, do we have a problem with sin. Jesus took our place in the grave early Sunday morning. He rose from the dead. He did that for me. He did that for you. And now he knocks. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force his way into your life. He's waiting for you to welcome him in. Would you do that right now, Jesus? I, I welcome you into my life. Jesus, I believe, I receive you. Come be my king, my shepherd, my friend, my ever-present help in times of trouble. That's what he promises to do. But it starts by saying, yes, Jesus, I do. I believe, I receive. Today, as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, would you just allow the Lord to point out pockets of sin that we need to pay attention to? Sometimes we get so caught up in our sinful pet sins that we just forget, oh yeah, that's a wall that I've erected between me and my Savior Jesus. Now here's the good news. We can tear that wall down. We can. That wall that we've erected, but it starts by doing the U-turn. Lord, you're right. You pointed out sin that I've not paid attention to. And now that I'm paying attention, I'm not going to just lay here any longer. So I'm going to do the U-turn, Jesus, and I'm going to run to the cross. That's the place of forgiveness and cleansing and just remove that wall, Lord, between me and you that I have erected. Wash, cleanse, purify. I'm ready now to do business with you. I'm ready to celebrate what you did on the cross for me.
Thank you, Lord, for the cross. <laughs> Thank you for the empty tomb, and we celebrate that even right now as we celebrate the Lord's table and communion. We welcome you here even as we worship you through these elements. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Some of you might not have the communion elements, so let me uh, have the ushers pick those up. And if you need the, uh, the communion elements, would you just lift up your hand? They're coming down right now. And if you didn't get them, we'll get them to you. Is there anybody up in the balcony who needs them? Yep, I see a hand. Okay. Would you uh, <clears throat> carefully peel back that top layer with me, please? Grab hold of that uh, styrofoam wafer. Board member, <clears throat> elder, friend, Gil. Redmer, would you thank the Lord for offering his sinless body for us? Lord, as we get ready to uh, partake in this offering of bread, Lord, uh, reminded of uh, you training the disciples in Luke, Lord, uh, before anything was even mentioned of your death, that you told them to daily deny themselves and pick up their cross and follow you. Lord, uh, that's probably our biggest sin that we all have here, Lord, is denying ourselves. And you exhibited that in the best way by denying yourself in the garden when you could have called angels down, on the cross when you could have called angels down. Lord, you denied yourself for us. You let your body be broken and beat for us. And we are forever thankful in Jesus' name. For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. When he'd given thanks to God for it, then he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you peel back that second layer with me at this point? Board member, elder, my friend Myron Matz, would you praise the Lord for allowing his blood to be shed for all of our sins? Lord, uh, it's hard for us to imagine how you would leave the splendor of heaven, Lord, and come down here and uh, go to the cross for us, Lord, while we were sinners still. And, uh, Lord, it's clear in your word, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And, Lord, you were the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice. You were, Lord, you were the only one that was qualified to do that. So we stop and we say thank you, Lord. We remember what happened that day. 
on the cross, and Lord, we, we shudder to think if you had not gone through with it. So, Lord, thank you for willingly going to the cross for us. Amen. In the same manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. We will uh, have greeting team members at the door as you exit with uh, plates for any of you who'd like to contribute to the Benevolent Fund. Uh, the Benevolent Fund takes care of our church family who are in need. It also funds the Community Needs Program, which meets the third Tuesday of each month. <clears throat> 